it's really annoying that side had to share great wisdom right now. So I don't really want to preach after what you share. Because I just think it's phenomenal just to hear from Sight's experience how this has changed his life forever. And truthfully, I think until you go, I don't think probably a lot of us realise. So I just want to give an extra commission that for the 17th of July, based on size encouragement for us, let us donate the best that we possibly can. And let us realise that this is not a sprint, but a marathon. And that every time that we go out, we are taking moments of the gospel with us. We might not be the ones in the van, but we are the ones who are commissioning the van to go. So I just think, man, Sai, that's so encouraging. Brilliant. Okay, let me, let me get myself ready for, for this. Um, cool. Well, welcome. My name is Jeeves. Um, I'm one of the elders of the church here. As you know, we've been going through the Big Question series. Who has enjoyed it so far? Give me thumbs up, middle, down. Most people thumbs up, some middle, you know, it might be your preach. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just been really helpful. And if you have joined us during this Big Question series, I want to just say, you are really, really welcome. If you've never gone to church before and you just walk through the doors because you just want to understand a bit more about Christianity, I just want to really say, you are utterly, utterly welcome. And our heart today, and our heart throughout this whole series, has just been unpacking some of these key questions of Christianity. Now, the question I have today, as you can see, is does God really care what I do with my body? Now, as we've gone through kind of preparing this series, and as I've shared to people this one preaching on it, it has always been replied by an inhaled breath of, oh, good luck. Because um, I think this question, like all the questions are, are really important, right? They're all really needed. This question is probably the most current question in society at the moment. This question tackles basically all the concepts that sociological people are saying at the moment of my body, my choice, of whatever is true in your eyes is true, of your own version of reality, you do you, and all the other concepts. This question basically shines a light on that and says whether we agree with it or not. Fast. <laughs> it's going to be great. And I think what I want to do, truthfully, is I don't want to shy away from pulling punches. I want to be clear and honest with what I think the Bible says, but equally I want to be tactical with what I do. In fact, the analogy I was thinking of is, how many of you have gone to an optician before? Yeah, obviously I have, look at my face. But do you know when you go to an optician and you get those funky little glasses, and they put them on their face, and you look like you're kind of in year 3000 with these funky little glasses, and they, they put different lenses in, they go, is it better number one or number two? Number one, number two, and you lie, and you're kind of like, yeah, two. Like, oh, yeah, you've got to get your glasses. You're like, they're the same. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you're looking for. But you're trying to focus in what exactly it is. That's my heart from preparing this preach today. My heart is that I'm hoping that as I look at this question in a way to, to go on a journey, I'm directing us well to have the right lens, or another way of saying it, the right context to be able to ask this question. I don't really want to just say, Scott, you care what I do with my body. Yes, fine, let's move on. Worship, can you come back? I don't think that is fair, and I don't think that is justified to actually answer this question. I want to tackle it well. In fact, if we look at the Bible, how Galatians and Hebrews answers this question, which, by the way, I would recommend reading both of those books after we finish. Don't just read the last chapter. Read from chapter one all to the end of the book, because how they write the answer to this question, how they write the answer to tackle different questions, is they go through a similar journey. So I think my, by me going through a journey, I think I'm asking, answering it biblically as well. I think by giving it context, I'm answering it, how the Bible will answer these questions. And therefore, I think there's three questions here that we need to answer. Does God really care? Number one. Does God really care what I do? Number two. And does God really care what I do with my body? Number three. That's my aim. My aim today is by going through these three questions at some pace um, to make sure that we can have the understanding and the context for when we land with the answer of, does God really care what I do with my body? We understand why we have ended up where we are there. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yes. Yeah, it's not loud enough. Are you with me? Yes. yes. Good. Okay, well, let's start. Does God really care? 
Well, what if God doesn't care? Because if God doesn't care, then he really wouldn't care what I do with my body. That, that, that would make sense, right? That's, that's kind of the logic here. If God doesn't really care, then why would he care what he does with my body? What if God is up in heaven, slippers on, reading a newspaper, heaven's virgin of rugby going on, because we know rugby's the heavenly sport instead of football, um, that rugby is on TV, and he's just tuttering away at what's happening on earth. What, what if that's what is happening at the moment? Well, if that was the case, then Christianity, the whole concept of Christianity, wouldn't make sense. In fact, let's start with the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse itself is full of creative intent, let alone the whole chapter. That that verse itself, God created the heavens and the earth. That, That chapter, that verse, has already an intentional decision to say, there is purpose in what I'm doing, creating heavens and the earth. That whole chapter of creation is, is putting intent around what he's doing. In fact, if you look through every page, you have the story of God's intentionality of divine purpose and provision for humanity. Additionally, God doesn't just love for the sake of love, as if there's no thought, as if it's really flippant. It's not kind of this liberal uh, pouring out like nothing matters. No, God loves because he loves. It's part of his character and therefore everything does has intentionality for it. If nothing matters, then Jesus dying on the cross would be an abuse from an irresponsible father, not the greatest act of love poured out by a gracious and merciful Saviour. That's what that would be if God didn't care. However, if God does care, then he would be completely bothered about me, about what I do, about whether I loved him or not, whether I'm saved or not, whether I'm reconciled or not. God creating humanity is because God really does care. God's prophecy in Genesis about what is to come is because God really does care. God choosing the Israelites as the chosen people is because God really does care. God making a covenant with humanity five times is because God really does care. Jesus dying on the cross for humanity is because God really does care. Jesus being the fulfilment of the old covenant and bringing in the new covenant is because God really does care. Justification that we get is because God really does care. Sanctification is because God really does care. Glorification one day will be is because God really does care. The whole Christian story is because God really does care. God really does care. There you go, that's my simple answer to the first question. Maybe I can finish now. Oh no, okay. Yes, God really does care. What about the question, does God really care what I do? Now you might have asked this question in a slightly different way. You might have gone, when I became a Christian, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What what does that mean now? Now that I've given my life to Christ and I've made this new step and new change and yada yada yada. Like what what does that actually mean? It's it's even though it's a different way of saying it, it's it's the same way of kind of going, does God really care what I do? I belong to him, so does he really care what I do from that place? Well, let's take a step back. Let's ask the question, what actually happens when we give our lives to God? Well, Galatians 4 helps us with this. It's a bit smaller font. I've also translated in Ukrainian, uh, well, Russian, sorry. Um, But let me read it out and let me explain. This is what Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 1 to 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is, un- he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. 
Okay, what does this actually mean? This is what it means. Previously, um, I was tied at Ian Company Market. Yeah, Company Market. And at Ian Company Market, actually. Think about This is what it means. I, was, I wasn't going to use this analogy, but now that you're here, I will. Okay, this is what it means. Previously, world, God. Previously, yeah, were you? No Okay. Previously, this is what humanity was. Humanity was Siamese twin tied, chained to the world. This is how it was tied. There was no way that humanity can escape. Jesus came. This is what he means by spirit crying, Abba Father. That's what Jesus cried on the cross. And that tie was separated because not the world, not the Lord died, but I died to the world. So I died. That's it. That, that separation is done. It's not that the world died or the Lord died. That is where everlasting is alive. I, as Jesus died on the cross, I died to this. But I'm no longer in limbo. I'm no longer in this place. No, if I die like Jesus' death, I then become tied and united to God forever. For all time. Hello. It's good. He's most built with that. Um, that's what it is. I'm tied. Yeah, it's no longer like I'm kind of like loosely tied, like sometimes I can like hover around. No, 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 I'm, I'm tied to God. Thank you very much, thank you. That's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's I'm tied to it. I sit under a new covenant. Jesus, God, lives in me because I died in a death like him. That's what Romans 7 and 8 says. I'm united to Christ. I'm alive in Christ and then I live through Christ. That's what that means. When you gave your life to Christ, it was saying, I'm dead to the world. I'm dead to how everything was. I recognise my death, but I recognise my now new life, born again in God. And I'm tied to God. I'm a slave to righteousness, as Romans says. I sit under a new covenant, which means that all of me belongs to God. Therefore, my life, my soul, all that I am belongs to God, and I, I should live like that in a new identity. Or to put it in a way that Jesus did, and he cites Deuteronomy and Leviticus, says with the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment, and the second is you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law and the prophets. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. Why? Because it reflects and models the new reality of being a Christian. He was saying all of the old law is summarised in those two statements, and that hasn't changed when you choose Christ. Why? Because if I choose Christ, I have an easier way of loving the law. Loving the law with all my heart, soul my strength. By the way, if you need to categorise all those four things, the easier terminology for that is everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's everything. All part of me. Yeah. Soul, mind, heart, strength. Everything. I love the Lord. Every part of me. What does that directly mean then? It means I should love him in every aspect of me because every aspect of me belongs to the Lord. Yeah. He owns it. I belong to him. Okay, then the question can kind of still stand though. Well, if that's the case, why does God then care? If I slip up, I'm covered by Jesus' blood. Thank you, God. Done. Like, like is, is that what it is? Well, let me give you a different analogy. Let's look at the lens a little bit and look at marriage. Let's just use the concept of marriage. So I'm married to Catherine, my wonderful wife, and, and we are one flesh. Now, if I came home one day and I said, sorry, love, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go cheat on you with a random woman. See you later. If her response was, oh, love, don't forget flowers, we would all go, what on earth are you saying? What ridiculous nonsense are you spewing out of the mouth? Her response should be, uh, no, if you do, we're done. Like, obviously. That, that's what it should be. Why? Because the very thought of me attempting or even thinking that is abusing the relationship and the union that we have. I belong to Catherine. Catherine belongs to me. We are one flesh, united in marriage. Therefore, I care what she does. And she cares what I do. And I care what I do for Catherine. 
Why? Because of the union of marriage. Because I love her. Because I'm united with her. It's not a requirement of law, it's a requirement of love. Yeah. I, I care what Catherine does, and I care what I do because I'm united with her. How much more, then, is my union with Christ important? The point of Jesus is that we would be free from the world to completely belong to Christ. I often hear the gospel talking about freedom, and it is freedom, but it's freedom not to kind of just float around, it's freedom to belong to Christ, which is freedom! Yeah. Because I get to belong to Christ. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I'm made holy when I belong to Christ. Yeah. If that's not freedom, I don't know what is. If, if belonging to God, if being able to meet with the living God, the living God, the creator of all, if that's not freedom, then I do not know what is. That's freedom. But it's freedom to belong to him. It's freedom to be with him. It's freedom to give my all to him. God absolutely cares what I do. Not because it's to satisfy the law. No, I can't do that. Jesus did that. Jesus satisfied the law. Jesus satisfied the Old Testament. Jesus satisfied it all. Jesus paid the price for my sins. Jesus paid it. But it's now an honour to live in a new relationship with God forever and ever and ever. The availability of God's grace and love does not equate my decision to belong to God. Both are necessary. God's grace and my decision to belong to him are necessary in this relationship to say, I belong to him. It means choosing to live under the new covenant of belonging to Jesus. God absolutely cares what I do. Now I'm going to pause there right now. Because if you want to Christian, and nothing else I'm going to say really matters. Everything else I'm about to say after this point it is for when you belong to Christ. But right now, we just want to pause there. Because if, you do, if you're not Christian or you're feeling on the edge, right now, this is probably the most important thing that I'm going to say. And potentially the most important thing you're going to hear all day. Jesus wants you to be free. Free from sin. Free from the world which means free from everything to belong to God. <coughs> he has paid the price. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered the world. That anything that I feel the world might put pressure on me, I can be free from that so I can belong to him. Guess what? The gift <coughs> is free today. When I mean free, I don't mean cost. I'll come on to that. What I mean is it's available today. Is available today. And if you've never given your life to Christ, at the end of the preach, while we take communion, I'm going to give you the chance to say, I want to buy into that. I want to die to the world. I want to be done with that. And I want to belong to Jesus. I want to belong to him. I want to be a child of God and be tied in union with him. It's free from the world pressures. But there is a cost, as I said. The cost is dying to the world. The cost is dying to yourself and saying, I'm done with that. That's the cost. <clears throat> but the gain you get is incomparable instead. So if you want a Christian, I'm going to give you a chance. I'd love to also speak to you at the end as well. If you are a Christian, you are alive and in a living relationship with God. Therefore, live as such. Live as such. Man, what a great song it was today. There's a joy in the house of the Lord today. You know why there's joy? Because God is here. Yeah. I don't think I said that loud enough. <laughs> the, the reason why there's joy in the Lord is because God is here. Yeah. Come on. This is great. This is good news. Therefore, live as such. Choose Christ. 
I implore you, it's not easy, but it's a commitment because he committed his life to the cross for you. So does God really care what I do? Yeah, he does. Why? Because he wants you. Like he wants me. Therefore, does God really care what I do with my body? Well, yeah. Of course he does. He absolutely cares. However, if we started in this place, we would have fallen into a potential hole of thinking it's about performing or meeting the standards. We would have potentially thought about it's behaving in a certain way, like some sort of robotic Christians that yes and no and these kind of things. It's not. It's about a relationship with God. It's, it's, it's not about meeting a standard. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Man, do I need Jesus. But yeah, I get Jesus. And therefore, it's about not conforming to a standard, but it's becoming more like him as I get to know him better and better through this wonderful relationship I get. It's a replacement of identity. Daily, I want to learn how to glorify God more and love my neighbour as myself. Because Jesus instructs me to do so, and Jesus modelled how to do so. Therefore, yes, it matters what I do with my body, because it matters what I do with everything. And how everything reflects the glory of God. God isn't looking for popularity. His name will be sung one day by everything in all creation. He isn't needing the likes, the views, or the reels on TikTok, or anything like that. It's a genuine decision to say, I want to give you everything. Or Spurgeon says it like this. Our Lord Jesus was far too wise to pride himself upon the number of his converts. He cared farther for quality than quantity. He rejoiced over one sinner that repented, but 10,000 sinners who merely professed to have repented would have given him no joy whatever. His heart longed after the real. He loathed the counterfeit. He panted after the substance, and the shadow could not content him. Talk about challenging, eh? Talk about authentic relationship. Giving your life to Christ is an exchange, as I said. Say I'm dead to be alive in Christ. Jesus, I want to follow you at any cost, including the cost of myself. I wonder some of us who have given our lives have really counted the cost of your life. It, that, that's what it's saying. Jesus, I want to follow you at any cost, which includes the cost of my life, the cost of my desires, the cost of myself. John Piper words it as authentic discipleship may exact from you the highest price relationally and the highest price physically. Fundamentally, what, what breaks that relationship? What leads me to hell? It's not a tick box kind of thing. Why? Because ticking some boxes don't lead me to heaven. But what sends me to hell, what breaks that relationship is self-reliance and self-righteousness. It's saying, I can do this myself, therefore I don't need to choose God, I don't need him. This area of my life, I really like that myself. That's what I want from me. Therefore, God, I don't really need you for that. I can rely on myself. It's pride bubbling up and coming through. Therefore, I'm not going to take God's design, God's plan, God's relationship fully serious or fully give over the part that I need to still be me. That's what breaks that relationship. I believe in one saved, always saved. I absolutely do. But I believe that choice of being saved counts the cost of our lives. I don't think it's a flippant choice of saying, I believe in Jesus, yeah, yeah, fine, let me just continue what I'm doing. No, Hebrews 10 calls out saying, you know what has been taught, how much more will the judgment of God come? I'm not mincing my words here. Because it's not my words, the Bible's words. But it's clear cut of actually saying the cost of choosing Christ comes with our lives. So I don't want to sugarcoat the gospel at all. Because I think even if we've been following Christ for a long time, I think we can let pride slip in by saying, God, I belong to you, but this area of my life, I need that to be my identity. I need that to be me, so I'm not giving this bit over to you. And I just think that's really dangerous because I don't think that's what the Bible says. 
Philippians 1.21 says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which means to live belongs to Christ completely and fully. And to die, I gain God. But the decision starts with saying, to live right now belongs to Christ, not to me. My life belongs to the High King. <coughs> That's the cost, is the cost of us. Looking at Christianity in this way helps us map, that helps map to us a new under, understanding of our identity better. Let me say that better. Look at Christianity in this way helps us understand our new identity in God better. And how we can navigate hard subjects that, this is, that society in the world put upon us around the topic of identity in different ways. Because we need to learn how to ground ourselves properly. It also helps us with the subject of temptation and what to deal with that. So do we believe in a liberal God or a conservative God? We don't believe in either, we believe in a God who loves us, the Christian God. So therefore, if I slip and fall, and I do something that doesn't glorify God, it's not kind of just going, ah, it's fine, grace, bless up. Like, it's not, it's not doing that. It's saying, no, I, I really understand that I shouldn't be like this. I know I can repent. And know Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is enough to repent and turn back to God. Revelation. If you remember that some of the letters often said, repent on sin and remember who you are in Christ. The letters often said, repent and remember. That's what I can do. I can repent and remember. Tim Keller writes in his book on Judges, says, real repentance comes to focus on the real permanent result of sin, the loss of the law. Repentance also makes us more able to accept and move past the things that happened. When we realise that God has forgiven us and we haven't lost him, we feel that earthly results are rather small in comparison. We say, I deserved far worse than what happened. The real punishment fell on Jesus and will never come to me. The real loss is not that I might lose something that I can enjoy in this world. The real loss is losing my relationship with Jesus. Or not understanding the fullness of my relationship with Jesus. That's the real loss. The real loss is not belonging to Christ. It's not having Jesus say, I know you. Nothing in this world compares to that. Nothing in this world compares to potentially losing Christ by relying on self-reliance and pride. That's the real loss. I'm not asking us to deal them with sin like a tickless or look to Christ as a medicine or paracetamol that we just take when our head hurts or when our soul hurts with a bit of guilt. But looking at who we truly are with all our bits and parts and priorities and probably falling under the fundament fundamental banner of Christ. Take me for example. I'm a heterosexual married man with a child. I work in consultancy and I work for the church. I like watching rugby, I like cooking, I like walking. I'm strategic, I believe I'm a leader, I'm a enabler, I'm a gatherer. There's parts of this world that I struggle with that I don't like about me. I'm sometimes deprecating, I put myself down sometimes. I sometimes don't like how I look. I don't feel like I fit in all the times. I struggle with self-satisfaction sometimes. For the English, I'm sometimes too Indian. For the Indian, I'm sometimes too English. I'm loud, I'm overly passionate, I'm a workaholic. But above all those type of things, I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's my fundamental identity. And if any one of those things, any aspects of what I've listed, comes above being a child of God, then I've got all my priorities wrong. Right. Let me word it a different way. If my marriage, if my love for Catherine comes above my love for God, then I've misplaced my love for God and I've misplaced my love for Catherine. If my love for Judah, my boy, comes above Christ, then I've misplaced my love for Christ and I've misplaced my love for Judah. Yeah. That's how it works. That's what the identity of God 
means. It's the same with my sexual preferences, it's the same with my gender, it's the same with what I do in different things. Every aspect of me falls under Christ first and fundamentally. That's my identity, that's my banner. And therefore, because I don't want to lose that banner, everything else has to fall underneath it. So let's tackle some hard-hitting things in society, shall we? What does this practically mean? It means I live a life to glorify God and show love to others in the way that Christ shows love. Okay, so does God really care what I do with my body with sexuality? Yes. Yes, God does care. We need to glorify God with, my, with our sexuality and our sexual drive. We read that God created man and woman to complement one another and gave the gift of sex for marriage for procreation and showing the unification of husband and wife, becoming one sexual, uh, consensual and sexual union of giving each other to themselves. Therefore, in Christianity for Christians, when we're calling out same-sex attraction, we're saying, does that buy into God's original design? And the answer is no. It doesn't buy into that original design. And therefore, it's competing desires for what has originally planned. Which means, for Christians, same-sex marriage is certainly not okay. Because it's saying, God, I'm good with giving you everything, apart from my sexuality and apart from my sexual drive, which I'm saying that this is my identity of what I want to do above everything else. My love for my partner is greater than my love for you, God. However, for those who might struggle with that, with same-sex attraction, those who might struggle with who are gay and lesbian, those who are not Christian, who don't know Jesus, that might be gay and lesbian, how do we react? Well, I want to love them with every part of my body, every, every aspect of me. Which means how I am with them, I don't kind of shy away or I don't back off. I don't avoid having conversations with people. Look, I I think as a church we need to be aware of how we love well for those who might struggle with that. I want to say, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, you're welcome to the church. Welcome to the church, full of people who are broken and learning to become more like Christ. You are welcome to to tackle and to deal with that. And we want to stand by you and we want to love you as well as we can. But we want you to also love Jesus as well as you can. And realise that actually the love for Jesus is greater for anything else, which might include a life of celibacy. If you really struggle with it, guess what? That is so worth it for the love of Jesus. I want them, I want people to know, I don't really care if someone who is not Christian struggles with same-sex attraction, because I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Christ above everything else. And if there's any aspect of me that might show some judgment, then I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. Because I want Jesus to show himself to them. And then everything else falls underneath that. Everything else falls underneath that. I want them to know how to love the Lord with all their hearts on one and strength. First and fundamentally, and then let everything else fall underneath that, including knowing for them the cost of their life, which is a hard cost. If you're single, I want you to know that that's not second best. It comes with freedom. It comes with more freedom than potentially married couples have. But we need to recognise that battle as well. So if you're single, no, we love you. You're so welcome. We want to accept you. If you're married, can I just say, if we are, us who are married couples, can we stop trying to match single people up? I don't think it's loving sometimes. I, th- I think it's really unloving. I'm kind of going, they're single, they're single, let's just see how it works. Maybe there might be chemistry sometimes, but I think sometimes it's just really unhealthy just doesn't show God's love of loving our neighbour as ourselves. How do we reflect that? I think we should enable those who are single. I think we should embrace them. Hey, how often, if you're a married couple, how often have you opened up your home to other family members of the church, single or not? 
Or sometimes, have you opened up your home for a family that has kids as well, because you know the kids will entertain each other? Like, how, how, how often are you opening up your home to those who are single or to those who are not like you? Who are just not like you in that way? What are you doing with your sexual desires? What are you doing with, with sex and marriage? It's a consensual union between couples. Husbands, are you loving your wife, honouring, or are you trying to force something, force love onto your wife? Wives, are you loving your husbands well, or are you pushing away completely? All of us, how are we doing with our sexual desires that is not dealing with a godly way? If you're single, the Bible says no to sex. Why? Because that is a gift of God. Therefore, don't try and release sexual desires in a way that is inappropriate. No, die to your sexual desires. Give that to God. And choose Him instead. I'm going to leave it there without using different terminology. Come to the King and be with Him rather than try and do something yourself. Okay. Does God really care what I do with my body with gender? Similar to the point before, God made us in his image as for us to glorify him. Therefore, as he made man and woman, there are two genders, man and woman, in which we are born in and our DNA spills out from. If you want more information about that, please listen to Andrew Bunt's talk in the Origin series. It will cover way more and way better than I possibly can in the space of time that I have. But that's what we believe. Therefore, if a Christian says, actually, I reject what God has made me to glorify him and I choose what gender I want to be, is choosing to rely on self-assurance and reliance while I'm relying on God, even if you may not fit society's norms. I hate football, which means I don't fit in what society says man should be. That doesn't change my gender. I'm very grateful that the Bible doesn't define men as those who have to do certain things. And so if you struggle with gender, if you struggle with those kind of things, know that we love you. Bring that struggle to Jesus. Bring that struggle to the cross. <coughs> know that we love you. Know that we want you, part of our family. If you struggle with gender identity, give that to Jesus and be persistent in choosing to die to yourself and choosing to adopt the priority of falling under the foundation of God. Does God really care what I do with my body with parenting? Yes. How are you raising your kids? I've got just a list of essentially thought-provoking questions, because otherwise I can't, you know, it will take two hours. Um, some questions. Does God care what I do with my parenting? Yes. How are you raising your children to, go, to glorify God? Are you thinking about the end of day, just to kind of start, kind of get to it? Or are you thinking about in five to ten years' time how they're going to be? What are you doing with your kids' parenting? Hands up, you haven't got kids here. You haven't got kids here? Yeah, okay. Just so you know, by the way, you are also parents for the next generation in the church. So even if you're single and you don't have kids, you are a spiritual parent for the kids in the church. Yeah. So by the way, this includes you. The parenting question is not one to kind of switch off. You are parenting the next generation of the church. Yeah. How are you parenting them? How are you being an older brother, an older sister, a mum, a dad, a grandparent to the next generation of the church? How are you teaching them? How are you investing into them? Or do you, for the sake of ease, ignore them on a Sunday? How are you parenting and raising up the next generation? Because if we want to smell a new revival, if we sense a new revival, song that we sung today, guess how that's going to happen? By us telling the next generation of who our God is. And if you're not part of that, then that song becomes very difficult to sing. Yeah. How are you raising up the next generation to know the Lord? Does God really care what I do with my body with drinking? Yes, he does. The Bible isn't against drinking, what it's against is drunkenness. Guess what? Don't get drunk. If you struggle with alcohol, if you struggle with these kind of things, then stop drinking. Reject the social norms so you can say, I die to the potential of even being close to the temptation of this, and I choose God. 
If you're inviting someone to your home that might struggle with it, how are you dealing with alcohol in the house? Sometimes better for us to die to our own, maybe nice social middle class conventional of having a glass of wine at lunch for someone who might struggle with it and instead choose Coke Zero. Just to make someone feel welcome in the house. Does God really care what I do with my body with clothes? Yeah, He does. What you wear matters. Not in a way of kind of ticking a list like. God likes preachers with a checkered shirt. Like, it's not, it's not really that. What, what it's more about is what I wear matters for how I show my body to glorify God, but also how others love the name, my neighbour as myself. Therefore, girls, are you, you know, women, are you wearing things that accidentally accentuates curves or accentuates bits that might distract others away from the glory of God? Guys, are you wearing too tight tops or too tight clothes or not enough clothes or two short shorts, that again might distract others away from the glory of God. I might be seeming really conservative, I might be seeming really pedantic, but I think it really matters. I think it really matters actually what we wear to enable our brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their eyes to God rather than looking at us. I think it just really matters. And parents, how are we doing that for our kids? How are we allowing our kids to wear what they need to wear to actually, again, reflect the glory of God? Or are we falling under social convention because all their friends are doing the same? Maybe they need to learn what it means to be actually persecuted for Christ by being semi-bullied for wearing something that their friends are not wearing to know that actually their body reflects the glory of God. How are we doing what we're wearing on Christ? Does God really care what I do with my body with social media? Yeah, he does. How much time are you spending on social media? I would get really annoyed, I'll be honest, maybe this is fully un... It's fully unrighteous anger, but still. I get really annoyed at people that say to me they don't have enough time reading the Bible, spending with God, but when I look on Facebook or social media, they put like five things posted a day. It really annoys me, because I'm like, stop posting? That will save you five minutes. Go spend time with Jesus. I would love us one day, maybe one day, one week of prayer for us all to fast from social media. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be done with it. Because yeah. yes. I, I just think it's crippling, actually, sometimes. I think it's crippling. Now, I'm not saying social media is bad. Why? Because I think there are great content. The Bible Project make amazing content to be able to show the gospel. But I think what we do with it, how we prioritise it, I think it really matters. How are you making sure you're not distracting yourself or others away from God's eye? Away from God's love? Does God really care? Let's, let's keep going. Does God really care what I do with my body with tattoos? Yeah, I think he does. I think actually sometimes there's an element where we put things on our body with tattoo that images that depict demonic or satanic things. Skulls, crossbones, and things. I don't think we should do that. I don't think it glorifies God. Do I think if someone writes a bubble with some tattoos on their body, do I think it's okay? Yeah, but part of me kind of goes, does it? Tattoo on your heart, man. Like, you don't, you don't really need it on your body. But the big answer is actually love my neighbour as myself. So here's my response. If I want to get a tattoo, who's my neighbour? Who do I need to love to show God's love and God's reflection and love? Well, Catherine. If Catherine doesn't want me to get a t- tattoo, guess what? I'm not getting a tattoo. Why? Because I am bothered what she thinks of me, and, I'm, and, I'm, and she's by the way I think of me. she thinks of me. Therefore, if Catherine's going, which she does, by the way, this is actually genuine, genuine conversation we've had. I'll be going, maybe I might get a tattoo one day. Catherine goes, I don't want you to get a tattoo. Guess what? That thought dies. <laughs> Why? Because I want to honour my wife with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I want to honour her. That's what I would say. So I don't think it's unbiblical. I would just think about it. But I do think what you put matters. What you put on your body. Do I, does God really care what I do with my body with music, TV and film? What are you listening really matters. Do I think that we need to consistently listen to worship music all the time? No, I don't think we do. Because I think there are amazing musicians who are Christian and not, that make music and that is great. But I think what we listen to does matter. So we listen to music that's just talking about kind of gang or money or crime or you know, songs about women and derogatory, derogatory comments about women, yeah, I don't think that's right to listen to. 
But I think there are some great music that don't have those connotations that I don't think it's bad to listen to. However, I would question how much time are you spending listening to worship music, or how much time are you spending with God? Because if you're doing all of that and not spending time, any time listening to God, I think then you need to rechange your priorities. So what I learn to do is that I, when I'm working, I listen to worship without words. I just find it really helpful just to ground myself. When I'm driving, I sometimes listen to worship music. But I love music. So when I'm at home, I've listened to different music. I'm listening to jazz, I'm listening to different things like rap. I think there's some amazing rap out there that's not derogatory. But I think what I want to do is I want to find a good and healthy balance. So I don't think I need to always listen to Christian music, but I would question if I haven't listened to anything, if I haven't spent time worshipping with God, then I think I've misplaced my desire and love for music and TV and films and that kind of thing. I think there's a balance. Last one. Does God really care what I do with my body with gaming? Oh! I could probably preach about this the whole time. Um, yeah, I think he does. Do I think gaming is bad? No, I don't think it's bad, but I just think society has put such a pressure on it and such an expectation on it that that takes up too much time. <coughs> Truthfully, men, if you game, well women as well, but men in particular, if you game, the social convention is that you become less able to have conversations and to lead, and you're more used to be able to have more shy conversations and not be able to talk as much. We need better men and leaders in the church. To stop gaming, start talking to your friends about Jesus. Or if you are gaming with your friends, online, instead of talking about like, go around the corner, she'd be like, you know, okay. But like, talk to them about Jesus. You have a mission filled when you're gaming and speaking to people online, how are you talking to them about Jesus? Look, I've covered a few things, but reality is, it's not about conforming, it's about transforming. It's not about restriction, it's about renewing. <coughs> I've definitely gone over, but I think I've needed to. Let's take communion, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Look, the answer to the question, does God really care what I do with my body? The answer is obviously yes. But it falls first and fundamentally under the relationship with God more than anything else. I think Jesus is more bothered about whether I love him than whether I struggle with same-sex attraction or whatever that I have. I think that, that's the priority. And as I said earlier, I want to give space that if you've never given your life to God, it's time to do that. This meal, this communion, is not some sort of tradition just to kind of say we've ticked doing it once a month. Though we want to do it once a month. That's not the point of it. The point of it is for us to remind ourselves of what Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, has done on the cross so that I get to live with him forever. You get to live with him forever which is why on Sunday mornings we gather as a congregation, as a family, we get to enjoy the living God completely. That's what this meal is. It's not just having a bit of bread and wine or a bit of gluten-free bread and grape juice. It is having a moment to remember what Jesus has done so that I could die to the world and die to myself and belong to him. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Alpha helps us with this prayer. Sorry, thank you, please. And I think, even if you are saying it for the first time, if you're saying it for the first time, I really want to know. But I think for all of us, it's sometimes helpful just to say it again, to recheck ourselves of where we are. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, Jesus, for what I've done. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your death, for your sacrifice. And please, Holy Spirit, help me to live a life for you forever. In your name. Let me pray. And if you want to repeat the words and say, I own your heart and hush tones, that's okay. Please feel free to do so. And then I'll lead us by praying and having communion. Okay, let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you love me. I'm sorry for the things that I have done that compete with your perfection and your plan. I'm sorry for being disobedient. But Jesus, I thank you 
for your death, for your sacrifice, and for your resurrection. And God, I choose to live for you forever. At any cost, including the cost of myself. Please, Holy Spirit, help me to live for you every day of my life. In your holy name, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for what you've done, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And right now, we take this believer's meal, this communion, and we take the bread to remember Jesus, your body, broken for us. Let's take the bread. Jesus, in the same way, we recognise your blood spilled, poured, gushing out on the cross, so that the blood could cover us and make us white as snow, pure and free in your eyes. So we thank you for your blood. Let's take the wine now. So Heavenly Father, I pray that today we will remember that you are bothered about what we do because you're bothered about our relationship with you. And so Jesus, I give you it all. Fresh again today, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. As Ali said earlier, um, there is on this side, if you want prayer for anything, anything that might have been said during the words or anything that I might have said that might have been hard hitting or whatever, we would love just to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, please come speak to me. Have a great week. Enjoy yourself. If you've got kids downstairs, please thank the team greatly because I've obviously gone over. So thank them well, but do also get your kids. Be blessed. Have a great week.